Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News and also coming to you over on our brand new YouTube channel over at Man United underscore MEN. You've, you've clearly liking it up to over 100 subscribers now. So please, if you're not on the hype yet, if you want to go and see some Clive Tilsley um, giving some memories about Man United from behind the mic, get over there. There's plenty more Eric Ten Hag press conferences as well, especially after United's return to Premier League action on Wednesday evening. A 3-0 win over Nottingham Forest. Samuel, I think we were all pretty confident um, uh, last week it is now, this Christmas period, all days just blend into one, don't they? And to answer, it was that bad of a start. I've actually forgotten to introduce you. So first of all, with me, Dan Murphy, is Mr. Samuel Luckhurst. Samuel, how's it going? You know what you know it is. This this period, we don't know who we're coming or going. No, no, I know the drill. And and it's good to see you back on. You're, you're the Wambasaka of the podcast. You've not seen all season and then you... You make two starts in successive uh, successive successive pods. So are they good, good starts though? On. Are they good well, starts? Well, I, th- I, th- I think I think like United, the the form is being maintained. It's it's been I'll sustained. It. We're, we're going places. I can't lie. I was a bit worried there when you started with that, especially since I didn't it didn't against a Burnley Wambasaka got a bit of an earful off uh, Ten Hag, but two minutes in, so likewise like him, I've obviously just made an absolute blunder. But we carry on regardless. And also with us today is of course Rich Ray, clobbered out in some nice Palmer gear. Is that a nice little Christmas present, that lad? That is a, it's it's from the archives. It's from the archives. But I must say, like now that we're on YouTube, I need to get one of these beauty lights or something because I I know I've not eaten any vegetables over Christmas, but I look. Very ill <laughs> with this pale. lighting. I look, I look grey. Go and get big light on, lad. You look, yeah. You, you, oh, I, can't, no, I, I wanted to put the big light on, but it has like just a, a hum. It's got a buzz in the background. So I thought I'll just uh, sacrifice my own aesthetic for it. But uh, yeah, it's nice to be on it. The the Wan-Bissaka redemption arc. I'm all for that, Murph. You know, you you were surplus to requirements, but now look at you. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly, exactly. Well, we'll certainly talk about Wan-Bissaka in due time, I'd imagine. But first of all, Samuel. Let's get back to it. Old Trafford, 3-0. We talked last week, we thought it'd be kind of comfortable for United. We didn't see any reason why they wouldn't uh, get the win. And they did so in in quite some style. It doesn't look like there's been any World Cup hangover whatsoever. Everyone who's returned is firing all cylinders, um, especially a certain Marcus Rashford. It was was a very pleasing performance from Ten Hag's perspective in the two games running, two wins, uh, two clean sheets both pretty routine against opponents that they should be beating. And, and I suppose in the case of Forrest, going into it, you thought, well, how many United going to win by, which is not really the kind of thought process or, or, or the, the mindset United fans have, have had going into games this season. And th- there were still issues with with the scoreline in that they were far too lenient and, and merciful with Forrest. Forrest are a very, very bad defensive team, one of the worst defensive teams you could ever really see in the top flight. They're very porous. Um, yeah, even still, although Wayne Hennessy made a, a bit of a blunder for Marshall's goal, he, he still ended up making five saves, but they were saves he should make. They were, they were too routine. As, as I said, United weren't clinical enough in front of goal again, which has been a, a running theme throughout the season. Uh, but they have been able to sustain momentum. I think they've only lost one game in the last 14. And some of these wins are building confidence. They've they've made up ground on Tottenham as well. So the bigger picture of it is that although they're still fifth and, and they, they couldn't go uh, fourth last night anyway, uh, they they are they're looking at a serious side now. You can see an identity there. Whereas at the start of the season, particularly after the start in the, with the first two games, it was about 
getting points on the board. Now they're doing that, but they're also incorporating Ten Hag style into uh, the, the way they're playing and players are on song and the depth in the squad even last night despite a couple of absences through injury and been a little bit down to the bare bones as far as fit centre-halves are concerned they still had the decent depth on the squad and that they could bring Garnacho on Van der Beek's a name um, Maguire is the captain Fred came on got a goal he's, he's, you know, he's, he's a Brazil international so they're in a pretty good place at the moment and to have come off the World Cup, as you say, and to see the World Cup participants looking as sharp as they have been as well, it's going to be, as I said, it's going to be very pleasing for Ten Hag. And he did look a lot more relaxed last night than the Burnley game. I think he wanted to make a point during the Burnley game of not entertaining any lethargy, get on the players' cases as, as quickly as possible so that they would they would get up to speed as, as quickly as possible. And with, with the Forest win, as, as he said, 3-0 clean sheet they've not conceded at home in the league since the the Arsenal game all the way back at the start of September so that's gone quietly unnoticed what a good defensive record they've had at home and when Varane can play like that nine days after a World Cup final I mean I was I, I, I've completely overlooked him from the team sheet when I had a first glance at it last night I just took it for granted that he might he probably wouldn't be be starting at all and I was wondering what the hell was he not doing there when Ivan Perisic was playing for Spurs at Brentford on Boxing Day, but it was uh, it was remiss of me. It was a it was a bad error uh, of of me to to think that of Varane when his his mentality is is spot on and the way he played, you didn't really have any uh, doubt that he'd be up for coming up against Nottingham Forest on a one of the rainiest nights in in Manchester this year. And that takes some going, but I think you know one of the the biggest talking points coming out of the match, Rich, or before it at least, was Varane's centre-back partner. It was a, it was um, kind of down to bare bones again at the back for United because even though Maguire was back on the bench after recovering from his illness, um, the bug has seemingly gone around like it is everywhere at the minute, the old the old Christmas lurgy. Um, McTominay and Lindelof were both ruled out due to illness as well and with Martinez still away celebrating, hopefully he's back soon, and uh, Dallow injured as well. It, it certainly was a makeshift defensive, which included, of course, Luke Shaw drafting in at centre-back alongside Varane now um, Shaw um, Ten Hag did say after the Burnley game that Shaw had volunteered he's played on the left of a back three plenty of times but to come into a back two especially you know it's such a different game you've you, you've gone from running the flank for 90 minutes as he's been used to to um, having to hold his line stay in the middle and you know he's, he's a fullback he's obviously smaller than even Martinez actually is he actually quite tall Shaw isn't he like deceptively tall now I think about it isn't he actually like 6'2 or something no, I think he's. We spoke to him in the mix a few weeks ago. I think he's about just under six foot or six foot thereabout. How did how did he do? And how how, how did United do in a, in a whole? Like, what have you made of them since the return? They're still getting going. Still a little bit sluggish to start with. But uh, again, to compliment Varane, that back four looked like potential sort of banana skinned in there. You got Malassia and Wan-Bissaka, the two second choice fullbacks. You've got. Varane who'd only just come back from World Cup and on a disappointing note and you've got Luke Shaw who obviously has the commitment and the heart in the right place but isn't a centre-back by trade so it, it did look like it could have been a banana skin but it's all credit to United that it wasn't that they did make it look a, a routine job in the end and it was comfortable there were a few shaky moments and some you know wastefulness from Forrest uh, whenever they got forward really they had the disallowed goal which you know could have changed the game but 
10, 15 minutes left, you, you still sense that if Forrest had got a goal, it could have been a very different end to the game. It could have been United holding on, sort of how they did against West Ham, really. A game they should have killed off way early on, but, but still didn't. In terms of defence, it was, it was hard to say because all Forrest's chances sort of came on the counter-attack. It wasn't a result of breaking United down really what was interesting though for, from my point of view myself and Sam have both noticed it was that certainly early on I didn't notice it as much in the second half that whenever United were in possession Casemiro would drop back into centre back again Luke Shaw would go left back and then Malassia had this sort of free roll in midfield which was causing all sorts of problems for Forrest because they they didn't know who they were meant to be tracking um, it, it really did work to United's advantage they were getting a few sort of overlaps and, and outnumbering Forrest in, in key areas there and I think that you know it was just a game where United had to win had to get back on track had to respond to the teams who had won on Boxing Day as well and there will be much tougher tests up ahead but all in all I think that you've just got to take the positives from it really and again maybe fortuitous at times that they did get a clean sheet because obviously there's a disallowed goal and there was still some naive defending at times they were inviting Forrest back into the game but they got another clean sheet they got three points and all in all to do that on the back of the World Cup break and when you've not got a fully fit squad I think that's a, a huge achievement and it's that running theme from Ten Hag all season the Southampton win the West Ham win the Leicester win they've not been vintage overall performances Forrest was more commanding than them they should have won by a greater margin you look at Arsenal beat them 5-0 City beat them 6-0 in home games I still think you know that sort of is an obvious difference between the top two and United. They they just don't kill teams off like like, like others do. But all in all, a, a very good performance, and you just move on now and, and look ahead to, to bigger tests ahead. Well, you know, Ten Hag was often uh, linked as meant to be Pep Guardiola's successor for a time, isn't it? And now he seems to be kind of doing the same thing in making defenders go all over the show, Samuel, with Casemiro cutting back and and Malasio everywhere. It does seem like. Maybe against a better team, such an experimental defence could have gone awry, but the fact that Varane and Casemiro are there, two such vastly experienced heads, world-class players who are still doing it, you know, even though they're now well um, going into the 30s, how, just how important have them to become? I think the stat, was it you retweeted earlier um, from uh, Daniel Castle, United have only conceded four goals this season with Varane on the pitch in over 850 minutes, and that is quite a staggering stat. Yeah, uh, I think one of those, not one of those goals, but he was off the pitch for the second goal against City. So of those four goals he was on the pitch for, he was he was injured for one of them. I think it was the one that Haaland stretched for to make it 3-0 or 4-0. It was, it was difficult to, to keep up really in that first half when United were playing as badly as they were. But his, his importance to United is immense. It's not a coincidence that since he came into the team for the Liverpool game, that was the the turning point. That was the the big selection that that Ten Hag made. A lot of people might have thought going into it that Martinez should have made way after how he was exposed by Brentford, and he only lasted a half in that game. But it was Maguire who made way. That that decision has been truly vindicated because Martinez has been a, a terrific player so far for United, and he's really thrived next to Varane as well. So when you've got when Varane's fit, and this is the test they're going to have in January, which is a month where they could have as many as nine games if they have to have a, an FA Cup replay and then they get through to the fourth round and they get through to the semi-finals of the League Cup, which of course they should do. That That's a very gruelling period and there's no real let-up either. With February, they've the two free midweeks have gone out of the window. And I remember when, when Rich and I were at the 
the Fulham game when they, they got the winning goal from Garnacho and added time and most of the players when the outfield players obviously went to mob Garnacho but Casemiro just sunk to his knees in the middle of the pitch because he he put a hell of a shift in and sometimes it does it does take its toll and you just want that 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 minute's breath or that that breather there to uh, gather your thoughts just you know try and try and recondition as best as you possibly can and you, you don't want Casemiro or Varane starting against Charlton or, or even necessarily against Everton you'd you'd think that Everton given the uh, the sticky wicket they're on in in the Premier League that they will probably rest players for that FA Cup game I know it's not the great way of going about it but that's that's how the FA Cup is looked upon by teams these days and it's a shame that is the case Everton haven't won a trophy since they won the FA Cup in, in 95 but they tossed it off against Bournemouth in the League Cup earlier this season and you'd imagine they'll probably do the, the same thing against United but Ten Hag cannot start Casemiro in nine I mean, up to nine games, minimum seven games, I think, probably in January. And Rich, Rich said it in his, he wrote it in his piece this morning about how those two are among the most important players at United, Varane and Casemiro. And there have been times where, certainly with Casemiro at the start, before he'd kicked a ball, where you questioned it because of the timing, the manner of the uh, the deal, the money they spent on him as well. Uh, it's happened so many times with these superstars who've come to United from Bayern Munich or Real Madrid or some of the other giants in Europe. And they've not just been bad, they've been egregious. They've been absolute disasters, whether it's Di Maria or Falcao or Schweinsteiger. Um, the list could go on as well. There have been very few who have succeeded. It feels like it would take a lot now to go against Casemiro for him not to be for him not to leave United as someone who's been a good player for them, because I think he's got a, he's he's got probably an unexpected rapport with the manager there, even though they don't necessarily speak the same language. They they are singing from the same hymn sheet. It was interesting observing them and what they were saying about each other um, in in the press room at Real Sociedad last month, and that was through through a translator, but they couldn't have been more complimentary about each other. So Ten Hag in Casemiro, he's got a lieutenant on the pitch. The way they went about signing Casemiro was obviously problematic. It's very clear that they wanted De Jong. Brentford changed things. They, you know, the Glazers hit, gave the green light to go for Casemiro and, and essentially use that money that had been set aside for De Jong and to put it on Casemiro. And they got the right player in. They needed someone who was a specialist defensive midfielder He's just about the best there is in the world. And as as abstract a term as world-class is, when you apply it to Varane and Casemiro, uh, it, it does carry weight and, and they, they're fully worthy of it as well. They are players who have consistently performed at that level, not just season after season. It's it's probably close to 10 years for, for, for each of them individually. You know, Rich, we, we all know about Casemiro before he came to Old Trafford. He's been kind of the linchpin of Real Madrid's midfield for... A decade, what is it, five Champions League wins in that time. He's been instrumental in one of the most dominant teams in the history of the sport. But I never knew, or probably didn't pay enough attention, I'm not saying I'd watch every La Liga match or whatever, but I never knew he was so good going forward. It feels like for just 10 years, he's just let Modric and Cruz go about doing all that job and he'll just stick to the plain and simple stuff. But at United, I feel like he's just taking a real responsibility or maybe perhaps he's got a bit more freedom. We've had, Obviously, Eriksson and Fernandes are brilliant, but I don't think I'd be offending anyone too much by saying they're not on the same level as Modric and Cruz at their peak. 
he but he's just kind of taken on a new element that I never knew he had. I think the first one that really shone in was that that assist for Ronaldo, wasn't it, against uh, Everton? And then he did the same here for that third goal. The way he wins the ball back and then without Darling on the ball whatsoever, no kind of second guessing, it's just hitting incisive forward passing is really striking to me. Something that I just didn't quite kind of realise he had in his game. I mean, I laugh because that is exactly what I said last night in the mix zone to Christian Eriksen. I said, has he surprised you? And he, he saw, his answer wasn't shooting me down, but he said, if you understand football, you understand Casemiro can do that. And I was like, I said, I said to Eriksen, well, I watch Wrexham every week, so I've not really been able to watch Casemiro <laughs> sort of level that. players. Good so, um, but I mean, the, I think that story will be out um, uh, Thursday morning, I mean, from the embargo section, holding that bit back. But yeah, he was just saying that having Casemiro in the team as well gives him the freedom because he says, you know, that he can be free and Fernandez could be free to attack and to push forward because they know they've got the safety net. Someone who not only makes the defence more uh, solid, but he gives the midfielders licence to do what, what they're best at, really. And yeah, I, I mean, uh, like, like I said, I, I think we all watch Real Madrid when they get to the last stage of the Champions League. I don't watch La Liga every week. I'm not going to pretend I ever do. But I think that Casemiro was always unfairly pigeonholed as the other guy at Real Madrid, the person who does the dirty work, the bruiser, someone who's got a bit more muscle against the sort of steel there. But he's got brains and brains you know he still does do the dirty work you look at the second goal last night it starts from Casemiro's recovery challenge in, in his own half and it, it stems from that and then the third goal is the other side of his game it's the artistry he is an absolute gem of a player and it is weird because you look at this United team and it won't go down history as one of the best of United teams ever will it and maybe not even one of the best teams of the last decade or so because they've not won anything yet and they've still not achieved anything they're still only fifth in the league but in that spine of Varane Casemiro Eriksen you've got players who would fit into any United team you know they, they've got great qualities they're so experienced they're just a joy to watch and you do feel that with them at the heart of it, this United team can achieve something because they've got that professionalism, they've got that composure, that calmness, and they've got players in Casemiro particularly who embodies everything that Ten Hag is about. It's about controlling the game. It's about United implementing their style, not getting rushed, not losing their heads when things aren't going their way on the pitch. And yeah, it's, it's just been a joy to watch really. And it's just going to be fascinating to see how United handle it for the rest of the season because we saw glimpses before the World Cup break that they were over-reliant, particularly on Ericsson, really, his craft in midfield. And it is unsustainable if United are going to be playing two games a week for this long. So there's going to have to be moments where they take their foot off the gas in games and try and rest players that way, or they start making substitutions a bit earlier because United have been good, but I still am not getting carried away because I still think that there's been enough warning signs in even most of their wins that it's going to be a long journey ahead but Casemiro will be central to, to any success this season yeah absolutely but I think that the, the, the main difference is between this team and the teams of the recent United past of Solskjaer of Mourinho of Van Gaal and maybe this is a bit harsh on Solskjaer because they did have times when they were quite excited to watch under him as well but it feels like for the first time under Ten Hag there is a kind of sense of fun in watching United they might not be able to do it for 90 minutes but for a good portions of games they're knocking it around really nicely they're scoring good goals and you know maybe it's a case of they've been starved of something kind of so fun but also competent in the way they set up for so long that even the most basic of kind of playing nicely it stands out 
quite um quite starkly you know if you if you've got three weeks in a desert without a drink even a glass of bovril would taste nice but i do think there is a degree of progress being made and the the football that they are mate playing and the goals that they're scoring are really good and nice on the eye Samuel I mean Rashford's opener um, a really well worked set piece where you know from all the struggles they've had in scoring set, what was the start when they went 40 games or whatever it was before Maguire oh, headed in well the corner over, well, I think it was well over 100 corners wasn't it there was yeah I can't remember how many it was specifically but yeah, so to go from that to have the ingenuity to score a well-worked corner routine, it's quite striking. And to me, it shows that improvements have been made and there's a bit more expression and creativity in that squad. It was a lovely variation on Beckham and Scholes at Bradford in, in 2000. I think Ericsson, had, his previous corner, he, he hit the first man, which is it's almost definable offensive if a professional footballer does that. And he, he obviously decided to change tact and... It was, it was noticeable when the game started that when the ball was rolling from passes and they weren't particularly zip zippy passes or anything like that, but there was quite a lot of surface water splashing, almost as if the drainage wasn't working at its optimum. And obviously the, the rain was torrential, but a stadium like Old Trafford, the drainage is, is able to you know, deal with that. It's, it's coped for it for many years, but it did look the pitch looked a bit boggy yesterday in comparison to how it it normally does when it's when it's very wet, which it almost always is. So for Ericsson to measure his pass as perfectly as he did, to put it in the right place, uh, for Rashford to make the right run, and I suppose with Rashford's finish, he's obviously uh, there's been criticism of him and, and justifiable criticism for the way he hits a ball too too often. He's dependent on hitting it on the laces and before his brother suspended his closest Twitter account when it was when it was confirmed that he was actually tweeting from Marcus Rashford's account. Uh, I think he actually you know commented on on, on a news story or or a t- probably some parasitic aggregator account that had stolen the story and, and put the information out there how Rashford would work on this. So it's it's something that Rashford has been conscious of. But the way he just opened his foot up and caressed the ball in uh, the trajectory of it was absolutely perfect Hennessy was never getting to it and obviously it was the element of surprise as well and clearly they'd um, they'd looked at you know how to exploit Forrest from from those uh, from that situation rather than just going with an outswinger or an inswinger and that's again that's how sophisticated coaching is I mean when we were in Spain there were a cast of thousands in United coaching gear out there but pretty much all of them have have a purpose. I think Rich was was telling me that the embargo's gone now, so I think it's safe to say. But I think Ericsson had told him that Eric Ramsey was was behind the move, and Ramsey obviously got a lot of stick last season because they couldn't score from corners. Uh, when the previous season, when he wasn't there, they'd conceded a lot of goals from set pieces, and I think Darren Fletcher wanted to make the point that look, people can look at that narrative of us not scoring from corners, but we have stopped conceding from corners. And towards the end of last season, they they did start scoring from corners more regularly after that breakthrough from from Maguire at Leeds, I believe it was in in late February. So Ramsey is is becoming a better coach, it would seem. I mean, there's a reason why Ten Hag retained him as part of the staff, and there's also a reason why Mike Phelan is is completely out of the picture, and that's because Ramsey came to United with a very good reputation. Uh, he is very highly regarded by by people who are into you know, grassroots coaching or uh, uh, you know all about a licenses b licenses and, and whatnot and i think ty said that that shrewsbury once had a look at him and with a view to appointing him as manager and that will happen sooner or later you would think so for him to 
had that influence and, and in Spain he was overseeing the, the finishing sessions as well with, with Martial and, and some of the younger players. He he doesn't lack for confidence even though he is a very young coach and he clearly commands respect from the players if he's overseeing those those routines and then they're going out there and pulling it off. Rich, it's great to see Rashford kind of in this form. Probably wasn't for you during the World Cup, I'd imagine. But at United, it's been brilliant to see him. Kind I, of I mean, I'm not going to say that free kick. We Danny Danny Ward made his uh, World Cup because that free kick was was very savable. Um, I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> Go on. What, what have you been making of Rashford? He's he's, he's really got to the, like, the best form in years at this point. And I think it's not even just the scoring, although the scoring is obviously a, a great benefit to United. I just think the way he's playing, he's just you can clearly see that the weight's off his shoulders now. He's been freed to kind of express himself more. Which again I think we kind of it's kind of reflected throughout the whole squad. But he you know, seeing him just take on players, run directly as we saw with that Burnley goal and to that really confident first time finish there, I say with Samuel there kind of mixing up his finishing styles. He, you know, if he I think I always held out hope and he really did test it at times. It really did held out hope that there was a really quality player in there with Rashford, even though he you know, two years or so of struggles on the pitch, but he really is um, finding it again now. Yeah, he's I mean, he's always had the ability, it's maybe just not the self belief and it was after the West Ham game where he opened up quite quite emotionally really and said, you know, he, he had the struggles both on and off the pitch, but he's He's a lot happier now. He's enjoying his football again, and, and it shows. And again, that is credit to, to Eric Ten Hag. Really, that, that modern football is so much about your man management and, and how you treat different players. Some of them need an arm around the shoulder. Some of them respond well to being criticised and having a point to prove. For Rashford, I think it's a bit of both. I think he needs that firing up and you know that that fire in his belly, really. But he's also had such a whirlwind career that you know it, it takes its toll really he's been at United teams where he's changed managers so often he's been playing in different systems he's always been cited as someone who can be the the number nine play through the middle he, he plays better out wide he's been compared to Kylian Mbappe you know there's there's so much he's had the pressure of the European Championship fallout there's been so much for him to, to take really on, on his shoulders he's had interest from other clubs and now he's just focused on his football again and he's got a more defined role he is once again a player United really do rely on he's relishing that responsibility of being a main man for United and he's he's yeah he just looks revitalised uh, rejuvenated and everyone's enjoying it really and yeah I don't like you said I, just lo- I do love watching him play when he's in, when he's in his best football because he has got a bit of everything in his game. We saw against West Ham that bullet header, the goal against Burnley shows his directness, that craft, that agility, and then the awareness of the finish. Last night it's just a, a brilliant, brilliant goal. You know, it shows the confidence that's flowing through his veins really to hit it as he did. And yeah, long may it continue really. Again, you do worry, and we've said this at the start of the podcast, United don't get enough goals. It was Anthony and, and Marshall as well who who squandered the best chances against uh, Forest though and should have should have buried them and you feel that if particularly that Anthony chance maybe falls to Rashford even on the right wing he, he would score it so it's going to just be a case again of management and how they sort of keep him fit but he, there's such an over reliance because that forward line is so depleted of actual options and even game changes. Garnaccio was great off the bench, but he was really poor against Burnley. Alanga uh, probably does need a low move next year, whether that's in January or summer. You'd say the summer because they can't really afford to get rid of anyone else in January. 
and still it, there's just that over-reliance on him and I think that he's responded well to the pressure so far but it's going to be the real test is how he keeps up for for the rest of the season because again he is a player who has been run into the ground before and his form suffered for it and United just need to be really careful about how they manage him and I'm interested to see how, how he holds it up really but for now fantastic player really confident and you'd back him to score in every single game at the moment mm-hmm. well one benefit Samuel of United's attacking options is Anthony Martial he started two games in succession for what must be the first time in quite some time um, uh, over the last seven days he scored here against Forest uh, moments after Rashford's and another really good well he was really, you know, speaking of bad Wales goalkeepers, Wayne Hennessy certainly helped him out with that one. Um, but, you know, he, he got a goal. It's now seven goals and two assists, or five goals and two assists, I think it is, in nine games um, already this season. He's looking sharp. He's he, he seemingly, um, you know, the, the break may well have come at a good time for him to really focus on getting fit and getting kind of recovered from all his uh, niggles and knocks. And he, he's looking sharp. And it, that, I say that there are obviously problems with kind of Ganacho and Alanga. But um, Marshall, if he can continue, you know, if he can stretch his form over nine games, over 20, 30, then United are going to be looking all right in that department. If he's got those numbers or he's sustaining those numbers, then it, it won't be a problem because, as you said, his, his contributions have, have been good for someone who hasn't, who certainly missed a lot of football this season through three separate injuries. I think he's missed something like 13 weeks of the season. So that's a hell of a long time. Uh, Rich and I were in Grimm last night that he wasn't actually that that good, <laughs> even though he did score. Um, there, there were a couple of occasions where United were getting into the final third and there was a crossing opportunity and he wasn't in the penalty area. Um, Anthony put in a ball that went out for a goal kick towards the end of the first half and it wasn't actually a bad cross he, he should have looked up and actually you know had just to assess his options but it was a cross that a number nine should be nearer to and there were still too many times where Marshall is caught on his heels and he's not really busting a gut and I think I think my dad told me that Shearer was saying something in commentary similar that there were certain balls going in where he wasn't near enough to them that uh, a true number nine should be should be in the area to, to to get on the end of them, and I think that's always the issue with Marshall. I, I just there's there are too many caveats with him, and because he hasn't played a lot of football this season, there it was the classic case of someone's reputation going through the roof through not playing. That said, when he was playing in those first few games this season, he did make really good contributions. I thought he was superb in the second half against Liverpool it was a bit almost a bit of an underrated performance that he produced some of the other statistics like getting two goals at City they were okay he scored you can't knock him for that they were two meaningless goals all they did was ensure that United didn't lose 6-1 and I suppose you, if you look at the Fulham game there was a good chance that he missed uh, with, with the header I think it was and he didn't play particularly well that day so as a starter this season as far as the Premier League goes, I don't think he's actually put in a particularly good performance yet or a performance where you come away, where certainly if you go into the press conference room afterwards, you feel uh, the need to ask Ten Hag about Martial. It's not gotten to that point yet, whereas obviously with Rashford in for, for quite some time now, he has been dominating a lot of the post-match coverage. And that is why, that's one of the reasons certainly with, with Martial, why United still feel the need not just to look at someone probably on a short-term basis in January, but come the summer, they are going to need a long-term option. 
And it is an interesting dynamic there because with Rashford and Martial, it's not a coincidence that they both broke the 20-goal barrier in the same season when there was not a front man in that squad. There was no... I mean, they've they've had Ibrahimovic to... Um, you know, they faded into the background when Ibrahimovic was there. Then it was Lukaku. Um, then they had their time in, in the sun, I suppose, if you could say, for that season in 2019-20. But then... Cavani comes in on deadline day and although Cavani took a bit of time to get going once he did it was very very clear that he was a much better striker than Martial or Rashford and then of course Ronaldo comes in and you have to bow to the king of course with Ronaldo out of the picture now completely Rashford and Martial don't have that competition there there isn't that front man who's going to nudge them to the side who's going to hog the headlines so for the time being it's it's not a surprise that Rashford is is thriving and and Marsh, as far as the numbers go, is is doing pretty well as you say, but that competition at some point or another in twenty twenty three is going to come and how they react to that is going to be interesting and it will it will also be interesting to see what United do in terms of the profile of player they get whether it is someone who is proven who absolutely has to start when they come into the squad or whether it's someone that can be accommodated with. Uh, Marshall and Rashford or, or at least one of them well we'll certainly talk about um, United's hunt for a striker momentarily uh, Rich but first off 3-0 win it's a good win it puts United up to fifth only a point behind Spurs who who's on struggles before the World Cup don't seem to have abated after they had to claw um, back from 2-0 down to draw with Brentford on Boxing Day they're a point I'm sorry United have a game in hand on Tottenham as well you know Coming off the biggest win in the league so far this season, 3-0 win, do you, do you give United kind of the upper hand on that top four race? It's a hard one, it's a difficult one because Newcastle are kind of unexpectedly almost near guaranteed a spot there now unless they absolutely fall off a cliff. Liverpool still trying to pull up as well and Chelsea, you'd, you'd imagine, will improve at some point. It's going to be a tight top four race, but it's good that United can seem to be near enough in the driving seat at the minute. Yeah, I think you'd still say that the stage United would be... Would be in your favourites to get a top four finish based on the fact they've got so much top individual talent that can win these games on their own and they have got more squad depth than most of the of opposition as well I mean uh, Tottenham have some wonderful players who would get into almost any team but if you take them out then they don't really have other options whereas with United we've already seen them win this season without key players they've done it you know twice in a week without Lissandro Martinez there who's been arguably the best defender in the Premier League all season anyway and I think United do have the depth they've they've been brilliant since they've sort of integrated their summer signings properly as well but as I said earlier I still think that there's been lots of wins that have been salvaged by obviously the fact that they've won there's been warning signs that Fulham game they could I mean they won it but they could have lost it they were under the cosh for large parts of that second half they obviously did lose at Villa I know we'll get onto it later in the podcast but as my, myself and Samuel walked back to the cars last night he convinced me that they might lose at Wolves this weekend um, you know there's there's, you could, there's there's games where United just haven't they're just not killing teams off and if you play against a mid-table team or a team fighting for their lives who who put a good performance in and, and maybe ride their luck a little bit then those can turn to drop points more, more frequently as well I think that you know, you've got to give United credit for what they've done. They have started to get this knack of winning games ugly, which is a great, great mentality to have. But I do think there's been so many matches this season that just haven't been convincing. And I think the difference between them and the other teams who 
are, you'd say, certain to get top four football um, in, in City, Arsenal, and maybe even Newcastle is they are winning games quite convincingly now, even Newcastle. I mean, you talk about that 3-0 win at Leicester, that's as big as, as you said, any win United have had in the league this season themselves. United just aren't putting teams to bed and they're lacking that clinical edge. So I think January is is really massive for them because at the moment, top four will rely on Marshall not getting injured. It will rely on Rashford not having a dip. And then you'd still probably need to get some more goals from the likes of Fernandez or Anthony as well, who have both been underwhelming in terms of actual numbers this season. I think Fernandez has been a good performer, probably better than he was last season already, whereas Anthony's a, a bit of a concern going forward. But for me, I think United, I'd still make them favourites to get top four, but there have been so many shaky moments that I don't think it's got to be comfortable. Well, let's talk about the next match. Coming up on New Year's Eve, the 12.30 kickoff. Samuel, United will travel to Wolves. Now, Wolves were the bottom club um, in the table before the league restarted, but a win, a late win against Everton um, on the whatever day it was, Boxing Day, they all blend into one. Um, under new manager Julian Lopetegui, certainly, I think, changes um, things, perhaps. You know, Tyrone said earlier on last week's episode that the fixture computer had been kind to United coming out of uh, going into the restart of the league but Wolves perhaps a different proposition now um, Lopetegui has faced United before and actually won um, a 2-1 win uh, for Sevilla in the Europa League semi-finals in, back in 2020 so how do you see uh, this one shaking out? Well I'll just clarify what Rich said just just to ensure my, my brand is is protected uh, I, I could see I can see Wolves taking something off United but I suppose it's not a stretch to say that um, a, a win is, is unforeseeable because you just go off the managerial bounce aspects and look look what Villa did to United with Emery in charge rather than Steven Gerrard. If Gerrard was manager of that game, there's no way Villa would have won, no chance at all. Uh, Emery is a far superior coach and, and Villa really responded to his methods and uh, they got on top of United very quickly that day. Wolves have got some very good players. It's It feels like a trick of, a, of the mind, really, to, that they were bottom uh, on on Christmas Day and, and until they, they got that late win against Everton but the manner of that win uh, coming in added time and you know every, literally every player celebrates in the corner in front of the their, their away fans who the stewards were desperately trying to prevent from getting on the pitch that's that's huge that that is the perfect way to to win a game I mean every team clearly strives to win a game as easily as possible yet when you win in that way, it's it's probably the best feeling in sport, never mind in, in football. And Lopetegui is a really good coach. He's He's got great pedigree from coaching Spain's under-21s, uh, the Spain squad on the eve of that 2018 World Cup. It looked like the best at the finals, but then, of course, Lopetegui uh, fatally decided to agree to take over at Real Madrid after, it, after the finals, but then he didn't even get to manage them there. And he was, I think he was sacked the day before their first game, wasn't he, against Portugal? But since then, he's gone on. He had the obviously the job at Real Madrid that didn't go well. But then he severe take him on board. He won a trophy with them in the Europa League, as um, many coaches at Sevilla do ten, uh, tend to do. And, and last season, he was in the conversation, if not seriously considered, uh, to be to become Oligan Solskjaer's replacement at United. George Mendes was was pushing him, uh, certainly vouching for him uh, in his conversations with United. So. I think he's a he's a good fit for Wolves. It, it, again, it, it's another um, another sign of how the Premier League can lure some very very good coaches 
um, what irrespective of where these clubs' positions are at, the fact that Wolves are, as you said, in the relegation zone and they're getting a manager who was was at Real Madrid what, four years ago, just uh, just over four years ago. He's managed Spain. He's managed uh, Sevilla. Uh, it's it's a great get for Wolves. That uh, in terms of the the options they had available, I don't think they could have got any, any better than that really. And it's it, a little bit peculiar that Michael Beale seemed to reject them and then ended up uh, going back to to Rangers in in Scotland uh, from from Queens Park Rangers. So I can see, given that it's half twelve kickoff, Molyneux is is a very atmospheric ground. It's it's one of the best grounds in in the league as far as atmosphere goes, and obviously their their supporters will be well up for it. And just just looking at the manner of that Wolves equaliser at Everton, uh, just how beautifully it worked it was. I think it was Neves to Moutinho to Podence. Already that feels like Lopetegui's managed to put his imprint on the team, and that's that's you know mere mere minutes into uh, their their first Premier League game under him. And they've got good quality in the squad. As I said, I don't think they'll get relegated this season. I know they're not the team they were under Nuno Espirito Santo and I suppose Bruno Lage over kind of overachieved just to get them as high as they, they finished last season. But they've still got some really classy quality players, the odd game changer off the bench as well. So it's it's a very good test for United given the way they um, wilted against Villa because Villa was a was a bad day. That that's been the aberration really since the derby. It's it's the only defeat and save for a ten or fifteen minute spell towards the end of the first half, they just weren't at the races that day. So it's I think Ten Hag would certainly not entertain anything like that performance at Wolves uh, on New Year's Eve. I think United win, but I think it is another in the in the sort of guise of that, that victory maybe at, at Southampton, a, a game in which United are pretty comfortable, struggle to really break down the opposition. There'll no doubt be a chance blasted over by a, a Wolves player in a dying moment where United, or a, a David De Gea wonder save, you know, that keeps them in it. But I think United will win. I think they have got enough. They've got the momentum. Like I said, they've... They're only getting stronger, really, um, since, from the World Cup break now. The momentum's starting to build. Um, I, I do, like, like Sam said, I don't think it's going to be maybe a clinical masterclass. I don't think it's going to be free-flowing. And I don't think United are going to particularly put, put, put Wolves to bed by any means. But I think they should have enough. And particularly, again, with the, the forward line, Marshall and Rashford should both be fit, should both be, both be confident as well, which, which is a huge boost for United. Absolutely no, for you know, for the moment that everyone's probably been waiting for. The transfer window is only mere days away at this point, Samuel. But um, a big signing has already kind of happened, or at least is on the verge of happening, as PSV uh, confirmed late on on Boxing Day that a deal had been agreed with Liverpool for Cody Gakpo. Now, obviously, there's a lot of United interest in this. He's a player who United were definitely looking at last year when they were trying to get a winger in before eventually getting Anthony. And with the obvious striker issues that we've discussed on this podcast, he was getting linked again, despite not actually being a proper striker, as we touched on plenty on last week's episode. But he's now off to Liverpool what's the um, the feeling around United on, on this move I mean retrospect it was, it was quite funny that at 10 hours post-match press conference against Burnley last week um, a reporter I'd never seen there before was was quoting Rude van Nistelrooy what you're saying about Gakpo and he ended it by saying that suggests it is close and yeah it was it, Cody Gakpo clearly was close to leaving but he said it's not going to Liverpool rather than uh, United I mean it, it was something out of the blue because Liverpool hadn't really been linked with him. If Manchester United are 
certainly interest in the player and there was concrete interest there and uh, they've they've actually had discussions with the player you don't expect their biggest rivals to come in and and you know get moving for the kill which is what Liverpool did and they've done it before to describe it as a as a hijacking is a massive stretch um united were not you know in the process of negotiating with Keyes Voss who is, is Cody Gakpo's agent and is and also represents Ten Hag. So if they really wanted Gakpo, I think they'd have got him. I think they'd have got it done quite early. Um, it's it's a reasonable fee, thirty seven million pounds, probably rising to, to fifty million pounds. You know, Ten Hag has got plenty of contacts in the Netherlands at PSV uh, through his agent to have really. If they really wanted Cody Gakpo, they would have got him. And in the summer, they didn't really want him. Uh, because the the main one they wanted was Anthony. There was never a scenario where they were going to get Anthony and Gakpo in the same summer. And although I'm very much yet to be convinced with Anthony, they had to get a left footer in because they needed to balance out that, that attack. And this has always been my point with Gakpo. He is a right-footed left winger. When Ronald Koeman takes over as the Netherlands coach, he will probably play on the left wing because the Netherlands will go back to a 4-3-3 Depay will probably be the centre forward because that is the way he's reinvented himself in recent years and he was doing very well there for the Netherlands until he got, I think it was a thigh injury which meant that he couldn't start for them in the first few games at the World Cup. Liverpool need Cody Gakpo more than United need him because their two right-footed left-wingers, Luis Diaz and uh, Diogo Jota, are out for a considerable period of time. Their owners want to sell the club as well it is in their interest to make a mid-season addition to try and get them into the Champions League. They can justify that investment because I think in the summer they spent or, or, or committed to spending something like £92 million on mainly on Darwin Nunez, but a bit of money on Fabio Carvalho as well. United spent £225.4 million on five signings and that's the one area where you'd say they've made. there was maybe a misstep in that they invested so so much on Anthony and overpaid so much that they should have been a bit cannier with the way they went about reinforcing their attack they probably could have signed two pretty good forwards with all that money that they invested on Anthony but he was a player that Ten Hag really wanted and the club backed him and you completely understand that and there'll come a point where we have to judge Anthony quite definitively that time hasn't come just yet but the leeway he was given in the first few months that doesn't that doesn't stand anymore he he needs to do more he's not done enough so far but going back to Gakpo ultimately I think if United really wanted him they would have got him they I think the more they talk about the more Ten Hag talks about it now and you get him to open up slightly more on the striker situation I think it's clear that he wants a striker and although Gakpo played there at the World Cup, it was because of the way Lou van Gaal had the Netherlands set up with a back three, uh, two starting forwards. I think, was it in the first game? Was It, it was Vincent Janssen who started with him in the first game because Depay was injured. This is someone who I think plays for Antwerp, had spent a few years in Mexico or a South American league who was absolutely hopeless for Tottenham. It's been a long time since the Netherlands produced premium Dutch strikers, whereas at the start of the century you, you had you had a, you know the best of the best really. So I don't think going for Gakbo is 
would have been the advisable thing to do. So in some ways, you know, whether United have got lucky, whether they've got blindsided, maybe we'll never know that definitively. But clearly they didn't want him enough. And John Murta, the football director, he, he did speak to, he did meet Keyes Voss uh, towards the end of November, which isn't particularly significant given that Voss is, as I said, he's Ten Hag's agent as well. But again, if you're meeting Keyes Voss in late November and if you really, really want Cody Gakpo, something would have come of that conversation and nothing did. And United have been quite sanguine about that. And I don't blame them because, as I said, as we've discussed, ad nauseum, Rashford, Martial, Sancho, Ilanga, Garnacho, that is five players in the attacking department who have played their best football from the left wing. And that is where Cody Gakpo started literally every game for PSV Eindhoven this season. There is an element of risk because if Liverpool finish in the top four and United don't and Gakpo does as well as Luis Diaz did when he came in last season for Liverpool, then United are going to end up with egg on their face because Gakpo clearly was an attainable target. So it does put more pressure on them to sign someone in January. And I and I, I think we've all been in agreement that they do need someone else to come in. But it has to be someone who, as, as Ten Hag has said, they, they provide balance for the squad, for that attacking department. I just don't think Gakpo would have done that. But they are going to have to get someone in who's going to be able to support the main forwards, who's going to be able to have an impact off the bench. And ideally is someone who does not play in the Chinese Super League and is an ageing former Premier League striker. The star strikers that you know United ideally wanted to start their hunt for striker in the summer but you know, the likes of Victor Osserman or Gonzalo Ramos, they're not going to be going anywhere in January when their clubs, their respective clubs are doing so well, um, not only in their domestic leagues, but in Europe as well. So it doesn't leave an awful lot of options. And with United not wanting to spend loads as well, there, there, there isn't an awful lot to choose from. So where do you see um, United going? And I think the, the most obvious one that stands out is, is, as Samuel mentioned there a little earlier, is Memphis Depay. For me, I think... Memphis Depay seems the most obvious candidate, really, because he is attainable. The number seven shirt's free for him again. The, re- the redemption arc again of, of Memphis Depay, maybe. Um, Didn't even think about that. Yeah, I think I mean, he's obviously he's Dutch. Um, he, he can play. He has played a lot of his football through the middle, um, particularly ever since he went to Leon. He was doing a good job there. Uh, it is difficult, isn't it, to 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 make a case for for so many other players because like you said the, the budget is tight we all knew that United have spent more than they'd planned to at this stage of the rebuild under Ten Hag who's backed with £225 million in the summer which is a huge amount of money for, for any club and prior to that United had never spent more than £150 million on permanent players across a single window so United are, I mean I'm not a maths genius but what is that an extra 175% increase on, on, on their highest ever window so you know, it's it, it's going to be a really interesting one to see who's actually available and attainable. You're not going to get the players that you, you necessarily want. It will be very much a sort of January sales, who's available, who's in the bargain bin and, and been a cast off of, of another team, really. I mean, you look back to when they signed Henrik Larsson on loan, maybe you could go for someone a bit more experienced playing in a, a league that's a bit off the radar. I'm not saying, as like someone said, they're like a, a Galo. Paul Mullen. Paul, I mean, ideally for me, <laughs> Macaulay Langstaff at Notts County, if United could get him on loan, that would be the dream from a Wrexham point of view. Moussa Dembele, he strikes me as, you know, out of contact in the summer, United have looked at him. Speaking of Moussa Dembele, I've touched base with 
people close to him and they say there is no contact at the moment on, on Moussa Dembele uh, he's someone United have looked at in the past numerous times certainly someone who's more physical and more a focal point and again it sort of stems down to what is it that Ten Hag really wants because as Samuel said there the indications are he he's almost gone full Solskjaer he wants a play, player who will break his nose to get onto the end of the ball break his toe whatever it was that Solskjaer said he needs someone who is more physical because United still needs to have a proper number nine I think but there's you, you do worry that he might get tempted by another inverted winger who can play through the middle but not very effectively from my point of view I think you've just got to got to move for someone and get an extra body in regardless and I'd go for someone who is a proper number nine like you said I think Memphis Depay is the most obvious but I would be personally in favour of someone like Moussa Dembele instead because he wouldn't have to start every game you could probably get him maybe on loan to the end of the season but then you'd have to probably obligate to buy him I presume otherwise Leon aren't really going to be maybe too fond of that but I guess he's a free agent yeah it's, it's difficult to say it's difficult to say I, I mean I think Memphis Depay seems obvious but like I said I think I'd rather go for a focal point up front One name Samuel who do you think it'll be? I mean Depay's in the same situation that he's he's out of contract in the summer but if Barcelona can get someone to pay a loan fee take his wages covered for you know pretty much the rest of his contract then that yeah, I think that does suit all parties I'm I'm not necessarily you know it's it's difficult to judge Depay without dwelling on how his 18 months at United went but that was quite a while ago now I think in the summer it will have been eight years since he made the moves that's that's an awfully long time it doesn't feel like a long time but he is a very he's a different character now he's he, he has matured and I think you can you can tell he's matured because he, he got a move to Barcelona and I know Barcelona have been a bit uh, reckless with their spending but he was he was signed on a free and he was he was probably worthy of a big move after doing quite well for for Leon for five years or five and a half years whatever it was um it's yeah i i i wouldn't be surprised if they are if it is a left field choice but pinning a name to that is is just very very difficult uh i can't i can't think of a player in the premier league yesteryear they would go they would look down the premier league ta- ladder see who was scoring goals for a club like Louis Saha at Fulham and they'd make them an offer that they couldn't refuse and it just doesn't work like that anymore the equivalent of that is someone like Ivan Tony now even taking the whole betting charge out of the way, they would they'd have to. I think Brentford would probably command some like fifty million pounds for him, and United are not going to be spending fifty million pounds on Ivan Tony mid-season. The, the you know it's, it's a different ball game now as far as that is concerned. You look at Jamie Vardy since he signed a new contract with with Leicester a few months ago. He is just he seems to be a bench warmer these days. He's not starting that often, and ideally United would have him playing that role for them, but. There's no way Leicester are just going to loan him to United. It does, from a business sense, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If if United wants him on loan, they'd have to pay quite a substantial loan fee, you would imagine, and it would be cover his wages in full, and and he'll be on in, in excess of comfortably in excess of a hundred grand a week, I would imagine, at Leicester. But that's the kind of profile they need to to look at someone who's going to be a short term option, who you're not going to be. Um, you know, bound by who you're not going to have, they're not going to be there necessarily next season. And that's why United have got these you know, the personnel in place at Carrington where they can whittle down these these lists, whatever the scenario, so that they have got names in mind and that they can 
um, they can look at them, but from speaking to someone who you know is is aware of the conversations that that have been had by United regarding a possible incoming, it seems like almost every player that they're looking at, they would only be available if they were paying a fee for them. And United have kind of you know they've rode back a bit by saying that now they they're looking at a loan deal that the, the, a loan deal is looking the likeliest option. So that does. It doesn't necessarily narrow down the field, but it it makes it a more a more niche name, I suppose. So, you know, any any, any Dutch strikers in the Eredivisie who are warming the benches and, and not doing a lot, I think they they might be about to get lucky. Well, whoever it ends up being, you'll of course find out all about it over on ManchesterEveningNews.co.uk forward slash United. But before then, as we say, there will be another match before the turn of the year on New Year's Eve when United take on Wolves. Join us next week as we discuss all that game and um, see if there's any updates in the transfer window on the Manchester is Red podcast. And of course, you can go and watch this podcast in living colour all over on our YouTube channel, ManUnited underscore M-E-N. Please go and give us a cheeky subscribe and get that number rising that'd be a lovely belated Christmas present for us so thank you very much but until next week everybody that has been the Manchester is Red podcast thank you for listening and we'll see you then ta-ra